In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light is here. It is epiphany season. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. I thought about... I'm really upset about no flying cars. I thought about doing a whole message on no flying cars today. And then I said, no, we'll do Epiphany. So <laughs> we're going to do Epiphany instead. We're going to talk about the light. Who was with us in 2014? Who was with us for Advent? Who was with us for the Advent messages? Yeah, okay. All right, what did we talk about? We talked a lot about tension. We talked a lot about the tension uh, uh, of Israel. Uh, and we were in the, the book of Isaiah. We were talking with the prophet Isaiah. And, uh, and we talked a ton about how uh, Isaiah was speaking for God, just telling uh, uh, you know, Israel how angry he was and how upset he was and how many uh, things were just way off the mark. And then in these little bits of like, getting yelled at, there was these like, bits of hope. These bits of hope. And, and Isaiah would say, but the light is coming. But the light is coming. The light's going to be here. And so it's this tense time, right? It was this tense time of waiting. And then it was tense in our city. It was really tense in our city. Inequality, injustice, and violence. And we've taken a break from that, but, but all of a sudden, now the light is here. It is epiphany season. It's epiphany. The light has come. Epiphany is light. The light is here, and it's here in the helpless baby Jesus. And so here's my hope for us this epiphany season. It's no longer a time of tense waiting. This is our call to action. Okay, This is our call to move. This is our, our call not to dig in our heels, but to live on our toes. So over the next few weeks, all right, as we go through epiphany, I want us to live on our toes. Can we live on our toes? Can we do this? I see people like, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Talk more. All right, I'm talking more. Um, we're going to live on our toes. Uh, I think we need to capture what epiphany really looks like. I think what we need to do is, is capture what this light really felt like. I think we need to capture the call of epiphany. I, th- I think for most of us who grew up in the church, and maybe you grew up in a tradition that celebrates this, and you're like, yeah, I've done this for 30 some odd years. I'm, you know, just let's go. Let's keep the calendar moving, right? But why is epiphany so important? Why is it something that should call us to action? I want to talk about that today. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a story about a brilliant but mad king, and we're going to talk about some astronomers and some physicists and astrologers and mathematicians. Are we ready? We game? All right. Matthew 2. Get your iPhone apps out, uh, get your uh, Bible apps out, get your Bibles out, and you guys can follow along with me in Matthew 2 as we talk about why Epiphany is our call to action for this season, why it's the light, why it's the Vox Day, why it's the voice of God, and why we have a part in it, all right? So right at the beginning, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, and boom, I'm stopping right there. I'm going to stop right there. Matthew The author Matthew wants us to know that this is incredibly important that Herod was king during this time. He wants us to know this is an important thing that Herod is in this story. Why does he want us to know this? I'm going to tell you why. Because, surprise, surprise, Israel's being oppressed and taken over by somebody. That's not new news for any of us. And so Israel is taken over by the Roman Empire this time. The Roman Empire has most of the land from Western Europe all the way over to India. And so that's pretty much like the known world. 
The known world has been taken over by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire uh, is ruled by, at the time of Jesus, two different Caesars. Okay, so there's Augustus and Tiberius. And these Caesars were considered gods. They were considered gods. All right? That's who they were. So you're in Israel and you worship the Hebrew God. And all of a sudden, Roman centurion soldiers are there. And Roman centurion soldiers say to you, uh, Hail Caesar, Caesar is Lord. And you're like walking along, and you have to reply. And you have to say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Hail Caesar, Caesar is Lord. It sounds sort of familiar, right? Caesar is Lord, Jesus is Lord. We, we're seeing that there needs to be a shift. That's me. We're going to get into that in a couple weeks. That'll be fun. But right now, I'll keep going with this. So, these gods... These Caesars, they need somebody who can control this vast empire. So what they do is they find a bunch of rich people. They say to the rich people and the powerful people, hey, if you pledge your allegiance to me, I will make you king over a region. That's basically how it works. I'm giving you like the very fundamental version right now. But that's how it works. So these people, uh, so Herod, uh, I'm sorry, so Caesar goes to Herod, this rich, powerful, mad person, and says, hey, if you pledge allegiance to me, you'll be the king of this region, of this area. And Herod says, I'll do it. Who was Herod? Herod was, he was the, the visionary, the Mark Zuckerberg, the Bill Gates, I don't know, the guy who made Twitter. I forget his name. Um, he's that guy, right? He's like the guy that's doing like the next and biggest thing always. He, he was brilliant. And so he's the king of Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he did some amazing things. We've got to remember Jerusalem is the desert. All right, And Herod, uh, when he became king, he built an aqueduct that was 19 miles long. Built it 19 miles long so that, that people in Jerusalem would have fresh water in the middle of the desert. He built it so well that to this day, there it is, to this day, he, uh, uh, that aqueduct is like a, a centimeter off from where it used to be. That's 2,000 years ago. That's how brilliant Herod was. Herod um, created the first sewage system in Jerusalem. Pretty amazing. First, first sewage system. Herod found a way to preserve food so well that a few years ago, archaeologists went into his palace and they found the place where he stored his food and the figs and the wine, 2,000 years later, were still edible and it was still drinkable. That's how well he was able to preserve food. That's how brilliant Herod was, okay? Now let's talk about how crazy he was. Can we talk about how crazy he was for a minute? Let's do that. Let's, let's talk, because it's going to be important for us capturing kind of the light of epiphany, the light of God. All right, so when Herod came into power, he just started killing people in Jerusalem. Women, children, anybody. Started saying, in the name of God, I'm killing people. In the name of God. Well, who's God? Who's God? Caesar. Caesar was God. In the name of Caesar, I'm killing people. Okay? And so all, these, all this opposition gets killed. And then what does Herod do? He starts erecting statues of Caesar in Jerusalem. So all throughout Jerusalem, there are these statues of God, these statues of Caesar. What does that tell us? First of all, it tells us that Herod is a kiss-up, right? He's erecting statues of his boss everywhere. (laughs) Nobody's doing that for me. And secondly, (laughs) and what else does it tell us? Well, this is Israel, right? The Hebrew people, they worship God, and they're following the Ten Commandments. They're incredibly important. The Ten Commandments say, you shall have no other God before me. So these statues are an affront to the Jewish people that are living there. They, they are oppressive. They, they are, you know, something that shows them that they're no longer in charge of being oppressed, okay? Are we starting to get a, a feel for the climate here? Right, are we starting to get a picture? Herod uh, built uh, these gold eagle statues that sat above synagogues. 
So that when you walked into a synagogue, you would see a gold eagle statue. What's a gold eagle statue? Why is it important? That was the symbol of the Roman Empire. That was a symbol of Caesar. So when you walked in to worship your God, to worship your God of Israel, you walk in, but you, you have to first walk through the, the, the Caesar, the symbol of Caesar, this God, right? A reminder of who's really in charge. The only way I can think of it. Like, what if you walked in today and there was like, like a Hindu God just sitting on our table in the lobby? Like, that's kind of what it feels like except we're not being oppressed. We can do whatever we want, you know? That's what this was like. Um, what else did Herod do? There was a, a, a beautiful caves, and these, there were the caves at Masada. And the caves at Masada uh, is reported, uh, reportedly where King David hid. You guys, King David wrote some of the Psalms. We've talked about David before, right? And David is a national hero for the people of Israel. And so there are these caves and people go there on pilgrimages and they go to visit. And Herod said, that's your king, King David, your king. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to knock down those caves. I'm going to crush those caves and I'm going to build a palace on them instead. And so Herod goes up, knocks down the caves, builds a palace on top of this mountain. Like, he went as far as to take another piece of another mountain because he wanted it for his palace. He chopped off the top of the mountain and brought it over so that it could be part of his palace. This is 2,000 years ago. Like, do we understand how crazy this is? There's the, there's the palace right there. Um, and somebody in first service was telling me that they actually went there and it's like a wonder of the world. It's absolutely incredible. Basically what Herod is saying is, you don't have a God. You don't have a culture. You don't have a history. I'm your God. Caesar's your God. I'm here now. I'm in charge. There's some real oppression. There's some real oppression. There's some real tension. They're waiting for the light. They're waiting for something new, a new king. Do we feel the tension? Do we feel it? It's in this tension that we get this passage. But the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked... Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. How many of you have heard this story before, read this story before? Most of us, right? This is like a pretty, pretty we know this. We, we learn it from the time we're kids. You know what I've never paid attention to? I'm going to tell you. I never paid attention to the part where Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Like, that's interesting to me. Why is all of Jerusalem disturbed by this? Why? Um, you do a little research and you find out that Jerusalem in that day was completely walled off. So there's a map I have, completely and utterly walled off. And that's for protection, obviously. But it was walled off um, because what was going on is inside of Jerusalem, for the most part, you had the elite. You had the people making the most money. You had people who pledged their allegiance to Herod and to Caesar and were living really, really well. They were the ones that were part of the empire. They were the ones who had the uh, access to the aqueduct and to the sewage system and to the preserving food area. And then outside of those walls, outside of those walls, were the rest, were 90% of Israel, 90% of the people. They were the ones who were broke, they were poor, they were fishermen, they were farmers, they were barely scraping by. And if you were one of the people outside of the wall, if you're one of those people, let's just say, let's just, you're a farmer, you're a farmer, right? 
and you, you plant and you sow and you harvest your grain and you have this grain harvest and you want to take it to Jerusalem because you're going to sell it and that's how your family is going to live. That's how they're going to make their, their, you know, their money for the year. And you take it and a tax collector comes out to the walls of Jerusalem and he goes, what are you doing? And you say, I'm selling grain. And he goes, okay, 13% for Caesar. So you take 13% of your grain away. We're Americans, we're kind of used to paying that, right? You sort of pay that kind of money in taxes, right? And then he goes, okay, and now 50% to Herod. So now Herod gets 50%. So now you've worked the entire year. You've planted and sown and harvested and done all that. You're relying on this money to live. And right away, 63% of what you have is gone. Just gone. Well, that 50% for Herod doesn't just go to Herod. It goes to everybody in the walls, right? Everybody's taking your stuff. And they're using your stuff. And then that tax collector who was the worst of the worst, because that tax collector is probably Jewish like you are, but has pledged allegiance to Herod and to Caesar, says, and now I take some for me. And most historians would tell you that a tax collector would take somewhere around 15 to 20% for them. So let's do the math. 13, 50, let's just say 17. Did I do it right? I did. 80%. You show up, you've worked hard, 80% of what you have is now just gone. You haven't had a chance to sell anything yet. Do we feel the tension? Do we feel the weight of epiphany, of the light? Where is the light? Where is the light? Where are you, God? What is going on here? What's happening? You feel that? Makes Jesus saying, give us this day our daily bread, pray. It changes that prayer a little bit, doesn't it? These people are really like, I don't know how I'm going to eat. I've had everything taken from me. What about Jesus telling people to give to Caesar what is Caesar's? It wasn't just that 13%. Jesus was like, give them what they, what they need. Changes that a lot. Makes that really radical, controversial. So what happens? So all of a sudden these, these magi come. And how many people? There's three wise men, right? We all dressed up as them at one point in our lives, didn't we? Right? <laughs> We had the, we, we, the women in the room, you had to put on the beard too. You, you guys weren't immune. And, um, and we, all, we all said, three wise men, we came, we presented the gifts. The, the truth is there was, there was a lot of people, okay? You're talking about, not only are you talking like magi, you're talking like families and kids, and you're talking camels with supplies. Um, you're talking a giant caravan coming in. So now you're standing outside of the wall. You have 20% of your green. You are cursing Herod under your breath, wondering where your God is. And all of a sudden, this caravan of hundreds, maybe even close to a thousand people just shows up. And they're, they're coming into Jerusalem. You know, it, it, you're like driving down the New Jersey Turnpike, and all of a sudden you see like a hundred U-Hauls, right? And you find out that, like, there's a whole village moving to another town. You know, like, that's what, that's what it would be like. You would talk about that. You wouldn't be like, oh, there's 100 U-Hauls. You'd be like, why is there 100 U-Hauls traveling down the highway? That's what people are thinking. They're like, what is this? Who, who are, what, this caravan, what is this thing? What is this thing coming? And this caravan comes in, and the caravan goes, um, they go, we want to see the new king. Where's the new king? Where's the new king? And if you're outside, and you just had all your stuff taken, and you're barely surviving, and you probably, most likely know a family member who's been killed by Herod, what are you thinking? Where is the new king? Where, and then some shepherds come in and some shepherds are like, we heard about this new king and this king is born outside. The king's born outside, not in the walls, outside the walls. This new king is here and this new king looks an awful lot like we do. The light is here. 
It's come, and it looks a lot like us. What do you do? I'm just going to sit back, hang out for a minute, wait, see what happens. What does Epiphany call you to do? Where's the king? I got to find this king. I need, life needs to change. We need the new king. I want to, how do I get to the king? Do we feel the light of Epiphany? Do we feel it a little bit more? What would happen, let me ask you a question. What would happen if God comes, right? God incarnate shows up. Jesus Christ shows up within those walls in Jerusalem. What happens if God incarnate shows up and has access to the aqueduct and the sewage system and all the food, and you're sitting out there with everything taken from you? Do you care that a new king has come? What if some people show up and they say, hey, we want to worship the new king, but those people are Herod's advisors and they're the Pharisees and they're the teachers of the law. And you're sitting outside. Do you, do you care that they're saying there's a new king to worship? But what if your God is so big? What if your God is so incredible? What if your God knows that the way that you'll be called to action, the way you'll move, the way you'll see the light is to make it so out of the ordinary so out of your worldview that all of a sudden there is a God that shows up as baby Jesus, as God incarnate, as the light, and that light is disguised as one of you, as one of me, as us. This becomes amazing news. This becomes great news. This means we are the light. It means that God is using us. God, the Holy Spirit comes and uses us as light. God uses us to bring peace to the kingdom. God used them to bring peace to the kingdom. It means that we have to bring about change. It means there's change that has to, has to come. I love what Richard Rohr says about this. He says this. He says, um, if I can ever find it, he says this. God comes to you disguised as your life. God comes to you disguised as your life. That's what was happening with the incarnation. You cannot imagine a more universal, available, non-elitist spirituality. No wonder Jesus rightly and proudly told us to preach this gospel to all nations. It is by nature non-exclusionary and creative of community. It is indeed very good news. Friends, epiphany is very, very good news. One of our values here at our church is, is diversity. We say we want to be a diverse church. What does being a diverse church mean? It means that every one of us, every one of us is qualified. Epiphany shows us that every one of us is qualified to be light, to be, to be used by God to bring peace. That's what it shows. It shows us that no matter our lot in life, maybe we're standing outside of the wall, we don't have anything. We are qualified to be used by God. It shows us that maybe we... Um, you know, I've done something in our past. It doesn't matter. We are still qualified to be the light. God will use us anyway because it's surprising and controversial and God is here disguised as us, disguised as you, disguised as me. It means that anything that is happening right now in our present or our future and any of the conflict and whatever else we feel and the tension and everything else, God is saying, it doesn't matter. The light has come and it's disguised as me, it's disguised as you and it comes in little baby Jesus who is one of us. That's what it means. Epiphany is good news. It is a call to work, a call to action. So what do we have to do? What do we have to do? We have to come to the realization that it is hard for us to hear this story because the truth of the matter is we live within the walls of Jerusalem. It's hard for us to hear this story because the truth of the matter is that we have never, I'm not going to say never, I would say 99% of us here have never actually had a family member killed because of government oppression. 
I'm willing to guess that 99% of us here have never uh, been arrested or persecuted for practicing our religion, for showing up at church today. I'm guessing that 99% of us here have never had 80 to 90% of what we own taken by the government. Guys, we have a good. We're in the walls. We're the elite. This message is easily heard for those that stand on the outside. So it means we have to shift our mindset. It means that if God is going to show up in surprising ways, if God's going to show up and, and, and say, enact and bring peace to this kingdom, if God's going to show up and be the light within us, it means we have to change who we are, our mindset. We have to be surprised. It should scare us a little bit. It should make us a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe we need to be a little bit uncomfortable. Let's reclaim the light. Let's reclaim epiphany. Maybe some of you uh, are, are like me. I, I grew up in the church. I've been in the church for 30-something years. And let's be honest, there are times in my life where this whole thing feels stale. It just feels stale. And epiphany comes, and I'm like, great, another year. Great, God is light. That's wonderful. Oh, great, God is disguised as me. Wonderful. I'm probably going to eat brunch pretty soon. So that's how we feel. And we doubt, and like scripture's old, and it doesn't make sense anymore. And it feels like, oh, my goodness, why do I even bother? Why do I do this? I have so many questions, I don't have any answers. You know, I feel this way sometimes. I was reading, I've been reading this book called Seeking God's Face. It's a daily scripture and prayer. Um, buy it right now. Get on your phones and buy it immediately. Seeking God's Face. I won't even be mad if you guys look down and buy it. Um, but uh, at the end of each scripture and prayer in this book, Seeking God's Face, there's something at the bottom that says, uh, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. It's a simple verse, right? It's Matthew 5.13. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and blessed, you can also translate it, and it's a generous translation, but if you want to, you can gen- uh, translate it into um, you are ready to be used, like in the Greek. Blessed means you are ready to be used. Um, so I, I read this every day for like a month, sitting there at the bottom of the page. You are ready to be used when you are poor in spirit. You are ready to be used when you are poor in spirit. You are ready to be used when you are poor in spirit. I thought about epiphany. And I thought about these people standing outside the walls, not having anything. And I thought, my goodness, the light comes. These people are ready to be used when they are poor in spirit. And I thought about us living in our billion-dollar apartments. (laughs) And I thought about how maybe being poor in spirit feels a little different. Maybe it does feel stale. Maybe it feels like we're doubting. Maybe it feels like we're struggling. Maybe it feels like this, we've hit this wall in our spirituality and Jesus doesn't make any sense anymore. And to which I'd say we're ready to be used. We are ready to be used. This epiphany season, the light has come and it's disguised as you and me and baby Jesus. And, and maybe this is where God says you're ready to be used. You're ready to be the light. Do not sit back on your heels. Be on your toes, ready to take action. I can't wait to see how... how God shows up and God asks me to, be, to, to, to work. I can't wait to the, for the conversations that I'm going to have with, with the, the strangest of people. Let's just be honest. I can't wait for the, the situations that I come into where, where I, I go back and I go, that was the light. That was epiphany. That was God at work. I can't wait when, when I look at people in this community and I see people and, and I go, oh my goodness, like this, was, this is happening. The light is here and, and we're at work. We're bringing peace. I can't wait to see how God uses us in the midst of the tension of this city where we can bring equality and we bring justice to the unjust and we end violence. I can't wait. Uh, I'm on my toes. I'm ready to be used. That's what epiphany is. It's, let's be used. Let's be the light. Some of us are tired. Some of us are ready to be cared for. 
people come to us as a staff a lot and they say, I need to be cared for, I'm tired. And I, I love that actually. It's our job, right? In this epiphany season, I want to challenge us. I want to challenge us to say, you know what, I need to be cared for. And the question I'm ready to ask you is, who are you caring for? Who are you caring for? I'm ready to be cared for. I'm working so much. Well, maybe we can leave work and, and, and pay attention to something happening in our neighborhood and in our community. Uh, I, you know, this is my life and I'm looking for this person in my life and I'm looking for this situation. I'm looking for the right thing. Maybe you could stop looking for your thing and help somebody else look for, for theirs. You know, uh, but this is about me. I need my time. It's such a busy city and I just need, I need my moment. Maybe somebody else needs their time. Maybe you, you focus in. Who are you caring for? Because this epiphany season, when the light comes... And it disguises our lives. It means God is at work through others. Let's pick our heads up and care for other people. You know what our church is great at? We are generous. We serve well. We serve incredibly well. In the past month, we had a small group at our church buy not hundreds but thousands of dollars worth of Metro cards and gave them out to people who couldn't get to work otherwise. We had another small group take someone grocery shopping and spent hundreds of dollars doing that. We had a couple in our church buy Christmas gifts for every kid at a homeless shelter. There are dozens of you in this room right now who in the past month have served at one of the organizations we support. We are great at generosity. It's one of the values of our church. But maybe there's some of us sitting here that are like, ah, I'm doing my own thing. Be generous. This epiphany season, go out and be the light. Do not lean back on your heels. Be on your toes. Be ready to be used. Arise, shine, for the light has come. The light is here, and it comes in this helpless baby in the middle of the elite. And the light comes in the middle of this powerless child when power is all around. And it comes uh, in this oppressed little one in the midst of, of you know, this hard government and it comes in a baby when you think it should come in a king and if it's coming in all these surprising and controversial and crazy ways then I can't imagine what's going to happen here today how will the light come here what person what place you better be ready you better be ready because it's going to come in you and it's even going to come in me arise shine for the light has come are you ready to be the light are you ready to stand on your toes Are you ready to feel the tension of how this story has come about? And are you ready to bring peace to this kingdom? And if so, then we can read the words of John and we can say, thank you for the grace of Christ. Thank you that we have a spirit that comes upon us and that the light shines in the darkness and that darkness has not and will not and cannot overcome it. Amen? Let's pray. God, we're going to pray that you make us uncomfortable. Um... I don't even like praying that. But we're going to pray that. That, uh, Lord, you bring the light in a child. You bring the light in the most countercultural of ways. You bring the light in the face of oppression. And so, God, you've called us to action. You've called us to move. And so make us uncomfortable. I don't know how that looks, God. Only your spirit knows. So send your spirit on us, upon us, convict us. Lord, that we might be ready to to bring peace to this kingdom in ways that Christ did 2,000 years ago. We pray this in your name.